speaking to her. And the whole time, if we're reading these and and we're reading closely, we're starting to think, what is she going to do? What is she going to do? Then the next thing happens and we think, what is she going to do? And if we are reading this theologically as we should, what we are really asking of our passage, what we're really asking of the text is, what is God going to do? How is God going to care for Naomi? How is God going to care for this poor, childless widow? And you guys have read this, and so you already know that God is going to care for this poor, childless widow by giving her another poor, childless widow named Ruth. And now you've read this, and you know this, and actually, and we're going to look at this a little bit next week, But we should know by verse 4 that God is going to give her Ruth. But to understand what is really going on, understand the weight of this, the impact of God giving Ruth to Naomi, we need to read a little bit closer in this text. And so we're going to do that. We're going to look at verses 6 through 18. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word We ask that you will use it in our hearts. Holy Spirit, help us to love Jesus more today. Help us to look a little more like him. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No. We will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. This is the word of the Lord. So at this point in the passage... Naomi now feels like she has nothing. She decides that she's going to return to Judah. And and probably she knew that if her daughters-in-law 
begged her to stay, that maybe she would just stay there. And so she starts on this journey with them coming along with her. And when she gets far enough that she knows, now, I'm, now I can do it. Now when they beg me to stay or beg me to come back with them, now I'm ready and I can go. That's when she turns and she tells them, go, return to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and me. Grant that you, may the Lord grant that you find rest in the house of your husband. This is the first time that she tells Ruth and Orpah that they need to leave. She says, go back to your family. Go back to your family. They can care for you. I can't. I can't care for you at this point. And so she says, may the Lord deal kindly with you. May the Lord deal kindly with you because I can't do anything for you. It's going to have to be the Lord who repays your kindness. And then she says, may the Lord grant you rest in the house of your husband. What she is doing here is she is granting them a formal release from their family obligations. We're not quite used to the way things worked back then, but the way things worked back then is is you married into a family and you stayed in that family. And so Naomi could have asked them to stay. She could have told them, you need to stay until I do have other sons, and then you can marry them, and then you can carry on the name of Elimelech. But she doesn't. She doesn't. She looks at them and she basically says, you have come this far because you had to, but now it is time for you to go home. It it would be kind of like, if we thought about it in today's terms, this is not a perfect analogy, but it would be kind of like if you had a a company and, and this company is starting to fail, but people are staying on. They've signed contracts to be there. Uh, there are very strict penalties if they were to leave, but the company is starting to fail and you know it. And so you have mercy on them and you say, look, you don't need to stay on this sinking ship. I'm going to release you from your contracts. Here you go. Move on. Go find somewhere else. Be happy, be well, and God bless you. Well, the women look at Naomi as they are crying and they are weeping and they say, no, we will return with you to your people. In other words, they're telling her, they're saying, we, we aren't with you because of the obligation. We didn't come this far because we had to. We came this far because we love you. If you think about it, and, and, and you think about it, Naomi lost a husband and she lost kids. But what did Ruth and Orpah lose? They each lost a husband. And they lost the chance at having kids. They were all so close. They were in this together. The ones they lost, they all loved, although each in a different way. And so they look at her and they say, we didn't come this far because of obligation. We love you. We are coming with you. And so Naomi goes a little further. And she says this, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? And she begins to explain, I'm too old. Even if I had kids, are you going to wait until they are grown to marry them and to carry on this name? No, you can't do that. I'm too old. Go back. I'm never going to have more kids. I'm never going to have grandkids. The Lord is against me in this. And there's even some hinting at the fact that Ruth and Orpah are Moabites. 
And Israelites and Moabites do not get along. And so if they come with her, nobody's going to marry them anyway. And so she says, why would you come with me? There is no reason. Go back. I'm too old. It's a bit like Jacob Marley's message to Scrooge. Do you remember that? You know, different people have different uh, generations of uh, A Christmas Carol. Some of us, you know, have read the book and some of us have watched The Muppets. Um, But we're all familiar, I think, with that story. And so you remember when Jacob Marley comes in and he has these chains shaking and, and Scrooge hears the chains dragging down the hall, and then he gets there and they argue a little bit over whether Marley is really there or is it indigestion. And so they they argue for a little bit, and then finally Scrooge is convinced. And then Marley says this, he says, O captive, bound and double ironed, not to know that ages of incessant labor by immortal creatures for this earth must pass into eternity before the good of which it is susceptible is all developed. Not to know that any Christian spirit working kindly in its little sphere, whatever it may be, will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness. And he goes on lamenting, lamenting what he's done and what has passed and what he hasn't done. And and he says, not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one life's opportunity misused. Yet such was I, oh, such was I. Scrooge, hearing this, turns and he says, but you were always a good man of business, Jacob. And now he's starting to think about himself. Business, cried the ghost, wringing its hands again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. And then he holds up his chains as if that was the cause of his grief. And he flings it at the ground. And he says, at this time of the rolling year, at Christmas, I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star? which led the wise men to a poor abode. Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? So here he is lamenting his life, looking at all these things that went by, and then he finally looks at Scrooge and he says this, he says, I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and a hope of escaping my fate, a chance and a hope of my procuring Ebenezer. Here is Naomi, like a ghost on the earth. She, she feels like a ghost walking around, like this grief has, has taken everything from her. She knows that she's poor. She knows she has no more children. She, in her mind, she has no future. And so she looks at these women who are saying, I'm going to come with you. I'm going to come with you. And she says, no, it is too late for me. Just like Marley, it is too late for me, but it's not too late for you. Turn back, go home, go back to your family, find a new husband, find a new life, and move on. Don't devote yourself to me. And at this point, we see that they begin to weep again. And then Orpah, she comes, she kisses Naomi, 
And then she lets go. She turns around and she goes home. Now, there is no judgment in the text here, by the way. There is no judgment on Orpah. She's doing what makes sense. She's going back. It is a reasonable alternative. There's no judgment in the text here. But this is where we see this contrast and we see something beautiful happen, something incredible. Ruth clung to her. It says that Ruth clung to her, using the same word that the the Bible uses of how God's people are supposed to cling to the Word of God. And it says, Ruth clung to her. She held her fast. She wouldn't let go. Because her love for Naomi could not be stopped. And so finally... Finally, Naomi, speaking only to Ruth now, she says for a third time in verse 15, and she says, look, your sister-in-law has gone back. She went back to her people, back to her gods. Go after her. And that is when Ruth says these incredible words. She sees what's going on. She sees what Naomi is doing. She, she, she hears what Naomi is saying. Go back to your people. Go back to your God. You'll be protected. You'll have another chance. You'll be cared for. And she sees a little bit that Naomi is white fanging her. Right? You, you remember that old movie, White Fang? The kid goes to Alaska. He's going he's gonna to find all this gold. And he has this wolf that's with him. And the wolf gets in trouble. And then he's like, go on, get out of here. And starts throwing rocks. I don't want you. I don't love you. Right, he, Naomi's white fanging her. Ruth gets it. She sees it. She knows what's going on. And her love for Naomi and for Naomi's God cannot be stopped. And so she makes a formal vow. That's what she's doing in verse 16 and 17. She is making a formal vow. She says, don't make me leave you. In fact, I won't go. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to live with you. I'm going to become one people with you. I'm going to worship with you. I'm going to die with you. I am going to be buried with you. And here is the part that makes sure we know that this is a vow. She says, may the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Her love cannot be stopped. And now she has gone so far to make a formal vow. And and a biblical vow, you don't don't break that. You can't just say, whoops, hey, I didn't mean that. You can't get there and suddenly decide, you know what, this is harder than I thought. Actually, I am going to turn around. I am going to go back. Um, You know, Naomi, you're on your own. This is a vow that she has made, and she has made it before Naomi and before God. And so she cannot stop And Naomi sees this, she recognizes what's going on, and it says that Naomi saw she was determined to go with her, and she said, no more. How has God provided for Naomi? What is is Naomi going to do? More importantly, what is God going to do? How is God going to provide for Naomi? God provides Ruth. God provides Ruth, a a woman whose love cannot be stopped. She is a friend, the the kind that you don't see very often. We see it with David and Jonathan. We see it with Paul and Timothy. We see it with Frodo and Sam. 
It's this kind of friendship, a friend who says, I will not stop. I will go with you. I will be there no matter what it takes, no matter what it costs me. God provides Ruth to be there with Naomi. And and so here is our first question from the text is, do you have that kind of friend? Do you have that kind of friend? Someone who's willing to give up comfort, culture, preference, time, security, to do what is best for you, even when you tell them to go away. Do you have that kind of friend? It's hard to find a friend like that, but the surest place is among the people of God because we are being changed by the sacrificial love of Jesus. See, this is why Ruth could make this vow. This is why Ruth did not turn back is because through Naomi, Ruth had experienced the love of God. Through Naomi, she had heard the stories of creation. She had heard the the stories of the deliverance from Egypt. Through Naomi, she had heard about God, the God who takes outcasts and then turns them into a nation. Through Naomi, she had heard about the God who loves his people so much, he saves them again and again and again. And God's love, she experienced it, especially through Naomi, changed Ruth. It made her ready for this moment. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend who points you to Jesus consistently, constantly, and and who is always with you saying, yeah, but look at Jesus. Yeah, but what has Jesus done? Yes, but you know what? I, I learn about Jesus' love from you in this way. Do you have a friend like that? The second question is, are you a friend like that? Are you a friend like that? Who is in your life? that you sacrifice for? Who is in your life that you are willing to sacrifice for? Who is in your life that you commit to and you commit that I will be here with you and I will point you towards Jesus? We commit to all kinds of things, don't we? We commit to all kinds of things, sports and meetings and vacations and and work, and we will sacrifice anything to be at a Coldplay concert or our kids' third activity for the evening, right? And what's the first thing to go? For, for most of us, what is the first thing to go? Church, prayer, the word, right? It's the first thing to go. We will sacrifice and commit to all kinds of things. But are you a friend like this? Who comes to your mind? Who comes to your mind that you would look at and, and with full sincerity you would say, don't make me leave, I won't go. I will go with you, I will live with you, I will become one people with you, I will worship with you, I will die with you, I will be buried with you. Are you a friend like that? The third application is this. Think about what happened here. God cared for this poor, childless widow in her grief by giving her someone not not radically different, not someone completely... uh, God gives her someone like her, someone like her, another widow, another childless woman, someone who was like her, but whose love could not be stopped. And think about this, many years later, many years later, another widow would watch her son lifted up on a cross whose love could not be stopped, not even by death. And God comforts us in our grief by giving us someone like us. 
Now, he is not like us in our brokenness. He is not like us in our sin. He is not like us in our failure, but he is like us in our humanity. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, fully man, fully God, like us. He knew laughter. He knew love. He knew joy. He knew grief. He knew temptation. He knew pain. He knew limitation. He knew tiredness. He knew wearing thin. He knew abandonment. He knew disappointment. And he did what nobody else could do. He did what nobody else could do. He was faithful all the way through, faithful unto death. And Ruth was faithful unto death, right? Ruth was faithful unto death, but she could only be faithful unto death. Jesus went beyond. He's the only one who could. He's the only one who can. Jesus went beyond, and he became faithful beyond death. And so the question is, how does God comfort us in our grief? Whatever it is you're going through, whatever you have been through, whatever you will go through, how does he comfort us in our grief? It's not just through the church. It's not just through, through all of these gifts that he gives us. He comforts us in our grief by giving us Jesus, who comes down, becomes a man like us. And he is our faithful Lord, our Savior, our companion, and our friend. He is the Holy One of God. And if you are in Christ, He is with you. What did He say to His disciples? Lo, I am with you even what? Even to the end of the age, I am with you. God gives us Jesus, whose love is life-giving. His love cannot be stopped. His love is never-ending. And as we read earlier, He alone has the words of life. And so the question in our grief is, to whom else would we go? Let's pray.